0: So, uh, Micah has, um, he's, like, he's like three and a half now. He's been really into baseball uh, recently. And so, he had, been, he had been for a while. And so, you know, I bought him a little, uh, we bought him a little, like, t ball thing. You know, so we have it in our house. It's a little kind of, you know, it's a t ball thing. It's, it's a little stand thing, and you put the ball on, t- it's all plastic, you know, you put the ball on top. He's got the little bat. And for me, like things like this are really exciting. I love when he kind of moves into a new thing when I, when we buy him a little hoop, you know, or we get him a little football or something and he starts playing with it. For me, it's really exciting. Like I love it because I love for him to grow in that way and to teach him these things. So he gets the bat, you know, and he's, and there's like a little guard so he won't, you know, so it helps guide him to hit the ball correctly. And obviously, you know, I put it together real fast and and he's doing it. He's really excited, and he's doing it, and obviously, he's not hitting it, right? He's totally, he's not, it's not going correctly. You know, the bat's going all over the place. He hit Josiah in the head. You know, he's just like swinging it around. The ball's not moving. He's hitting the the, the stand thing, you know, and it's just falling over, and so naturally, you know, me as a loving father, I get very frustrated. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're doing it wrong, you know? So, um, I, I, like, stand him up. I'm, like, no, you got you to gotta do it like this. And I'm teaching him. I start teaching him things. I'm giving him tips. But, you know, it's, like, these are not the right tips, <laughs> you know, the tips that I'm – I'm, like, no, stand, like, like spread your – like, put your, your feet, like, this shoulder width. Of, you know, and I'm, I'm like, telling him to, like, bend and do this. And, uh, like, these are not the right – these are not the right things. It's not help, helping him to hit the ball. He's just becoming more and more frustrated. And I remembered uh, uh, when I learned – these things, and I learned a lot from like, my dad and my brother. My, I have an older brother, and you know he, was, he played all the sports. And I remembered any kind of hitting thing, even golf, which I hate, but I did spend some time playing golf. Um, any time where you have some, some thing, like tennis or baseball or golf, and you're hitting a ball, um, there's one very important rule. It's really the only rule that matters, and it's keep your eye on the ball. That is, that is the most important thing, right? And a lot of times what they'll teach you is just do that and actually your body knows what it's doing, right? Like just trust your body and if you just do that, you will hit it. It might not be perfect, you know, it may not be correct exactly, but you will hit it, right? And so I just told him, I didn't say keep your eye on the ball because he doesn't know what that means. He'll probably stick the ball up to his face like this. But I just said just, just watch, just look at the ball, Right, and then do whatever you want. Right, like like swing it however you want. Do whatever. Stand wherever you want. Do whatever you want else. Just just make sure you look at the ball and you don't look away. Right? that's all I. That's all I told. Him. And he was like, he was hitting better than the Dodgers, man. <laughs> like what the? He was like hitting it perfectly, right? Like every time, he's like boom, boom, right? He's just, he's like directing it. <laughs> he's aiming it. Jeez, you know. Cody Bellinger, and you know, like, like learn something, you know. Uh, and and I was like, oh, I remembered. You know, it made me think of this line. It's a line from Stephen Covey. Uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Did you guys get that? <laughs> the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Right. And and what happens is knowing the main thing is what lets everything else fall into place when the main thing is not the main thing, then a second thing becomes the main thing. And not only does the second thing not do the second thing or fail to be the main thing, but it no longer does the second thing that it's supposed to do. Now, why why am I bringing this up? Because, you know, we're in a series called I Am. We're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John these are things that Jesus says to identify who he is, right? And this is very important. And if you're a believer, this is crucially important for us because the main thing is Jesus. We joked about this at Bible study the other day, but, you know, every problem is, is not enough Jesus. You know, every solution is Jesus. Every application is more Jesus, Right? And, and that's like, on a, on a very basic level, that is actually true for us as believers. So what we are trying to do, you know, in this series is discover who Jesus is. Because more than what we want oftentimes is like, oh, well, you know, five steps to this. How do I have a, you know, we're doing a, a premarital class, right? Like, how do I have a perfect marriage? You know, what are the, what are the steps, Right? How do I love my work? How do I become a better you know, such and such, a better daughter or a better friend? What's, how do I mentor people? How do I disciple? How do I evangelize? Give me the steps. Right? Give me the tutorial. Give me the formula. And those, none of those things are bad. But those things aren't the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. We want to keep the main thing the main thing keep our eyes on not the ball but on jesus so we've been looking at who is jesus and just to remind you the past couple of weeks we looked at uh john six he's the bread of life you remember he said do not work do not labor for the food that perishes but the for the food that endures to eternal life believing on jesus feeding on jesus right and we talked about the word and uh, last week, we looked at the light of, he says, he's the light of the world from John eight twelve. the true light, right? He's, he's the light of the world who walks with him, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's the true light that reveals righteousness and sin, truth and error, right and wrong. He's the only light that reveals that. And, and what we're going to look at today is we're actually combining statements three and four. He says he is the door and the good shepherd. These two things are part of the same passage. So we're going to be looking at them together. And we're going to see, what does this reveal about Jesus, who Jesus is? What does that mean for our lives? And so let's go ahead and um, open our Bibles to John, John chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 10, we will read from verse 1 through verse 21. And this is God's word. And it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door... of strangers. Now let's pause right here for a second. Um, Jesus is—he's uh, referring to this. He's using this imagery, right, of sheep and shepherds. Now this is an an, an uh, this is a metaphor that's used uh, throughout various passages of Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. God refers to the leaders of Israel as shepherds, right? The the religious leaders, they are they are uh, referred to as shepherds. And often the way that this is used, like if you look in certain passages, Ezekiel 34, Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 23, it talks about the leaders of Israel being failing shepherds so that they are not doing what they are supposed to do. They are, you know, for example, in Ezekiel 34, he accuses, God accuses the leaders of Israel, um, as scattering the flock. So they're bad shepherds. They're scattering the flock instead of, you know, kind of leading them and guiding them. They're just letting them go wild, not feeding them, leaving them as prey to be fed upon by wild beasts. So other people come and kind of prey on them. And so Jesus is uh, referring to, it's kind of a veiled reference to the leaders of Israel at this time, in Jesus' time. And he is saying that they are really they are not good shepherds, that they are, you know, thieves and robbers. They come in not the appropriate way, and the people do not listen to them. And then he's going to go on, verse 6. This is verse 6. Let's read on. It says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So they didn't understand this metaphor, so Jesus is going to clarify. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So there's that first I am. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so he clarifies, he says, I'm the door. I'm the only way, the only right way, the only legitimate way for, uh, you know, the, the sheep to come in and out, right? And interestingly, he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. So all the other people In fact, everyone else besides me, everyone else who claims to be a leader, everyone else who claims to know the right way, everyone else who claims to to have the door to life, they're all thieves and robbers. I'm the only true door. I'm the only right way. And, And this is... Really, the point of the the image of the door that Jesus is the only way that leads to life he 's the only door to life uh, so uh, imagine this for a second you, you know you just suddenly wake up and you 're like you 're in a room you 're trapped, and in front of you are you know all around you in fact are a bunch of doors, let's, let's say like a hundred doors, yeah, there are a hundred doors, and out of these hundred doors, all but one lead to instant death, you know, I had to make it this way, so there's no, you know, there's no like laser grid, or minefield, or, or, or you know, or whatever, like things you see in movies, we, we can't have those kind of supervillain ways, because there's like ways out of them, right, no, it's just instant death, if you just pick the wrong door, you just open it, it's over, you just die, there's no way around it, Right? Now, in this case, if that's the case, that's, that's the situation that you find yourself in, what's going to help you in this situation? Will being really strong help you? Is that going to help you survive instant death? No, it won't, right? Because instant death will kill you, no matter how strong you are. What if you're really fast? Can you outrun instant death? No, you can't. What if you're really smart? Well, everything just looks the same. There's, no, there's nothing discernibly different about any door, so what's going to help you then? Well, nothing inherent in you, no no particular quality is going to help you. The only thing that's going to help you is knowing which door is the right door. That's the only thing that will help you. If you knew for sure this is the door, this is the door that leads to life, all the other doors lead to death, that's, that's the information that will help you. And that's what... Jesus is saying, "Saying I'm I'm the right door. It's not about anything inherent or specific about you, like the qualities about you or your past or anything. It's just I'm just telling you. Jesus is saying I'm I'm telling you, I'm the right door. There was a story. Um, this is an old story. It's from USA Today, but um, it's a story about shepherds. Uh, Turkish shepherds. And uh, they were actually eating breakfast and they had a huge uh, flock of sheep. And what happened was, (laughs) while they were eating breakfast and their flock of sheep was nearby and they were allowing the sheep to just be there to, to graze on grass, one of the sheep jumped over a cliff to its death just while they're just eating. right? And then... The shepherds, you know, apparently they were, like, kind of far away. They weren't right next to the sheep because they probably would have done something about this. But one of the sheep jumped to its death, and then they watched as nearly 1,500 other sheep that were nearby all followed the one sheep over the cliff, and they all jumped. Well, they actually didn't all jump to their deaths because what ended up happening was so many sheep fell that... The initial sheep, the first sheep that died created a like a like a pit like a giant pillowy kind of thing that the later sheep that jumped didn't even they didn't die because there were so many sheep there they actually created like this cushion for some of the later sheep, of course, I mean but at the end, I think like four hundred sheep died. all the sheep jumped over the cliff and they lost it, it cost the local farmers something like seventy four thousand dollars. You know, like, like, why do I tell this story? Because the Bible says we are like sheep. Very endearing, right? It's like, thanks, Jesus, you know? We are like sheep. True, though. I think we are a danger to ourselves. We are prone to choose the door to death more than we are prone to choose the door to life. Matthew 7, 13 to 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. If there's a big road that a bunch of people are on, and that road leads to destruction, then why do people keep using that road? Right? Like, doesn't that not make sense? If there's a narrow road that's hard that leads to life and there's a big road that's easy that leads to destruction, why do people keep picking the big road? Why are there so many people on that road if the road leads to destruction? Because they love destruction? Because a bunch of people are like, yeah, I want to go to my own destruction? Because a bunch of people are thinking, yeah, I want to jump to my own death. No, of course not. Nobody wants destruction. They pick it because the path to them appears to be a good one. Many people, more people. The Bible says there are many people on this path, the wide road that leads to destruction. Not because they're, not because they're you know dumb, or because they are uh, they want to die or they want to be destroyed, but because they think it's actually leading them to life. Proverbs fourteen twelve. This is an important. This is an important verse. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You think there's there's a road, there's a way, there's a path that seems right to us, that seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way to death. But what you will find at the end of that path is death. Jesus says, besides him, there's only thieves and robbers. So when we say, Jesus versus another teaching. Jesus versus another, and I'm not saying just any general teaching. I'm saying Jesus who claims to be the way to life versus something else that claims to be the way to life. Someone else or something else Some other place where we think, that is where I will find life. That is where I will find salvation. It's not a comparison between something that's good and something that's better. It's not a comparison between, yeah, money's good, Jesus is better. You know, success is good, Jesus is better. Family's good, Jesus is better. No, it's not a comparison between two shepherds. One of them is pretty good, and one of them is the best one. It's a comparison between a shepherd and a thief a shepherd and a robber, somebody who wants to lead you to life and somebody who wants to steal away from you what you have and lead you to death. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Following Jesus isn't just better. Pursuing Jesus as a way to life is not just better than pursuing money or career or family as the way to life. No, pursuing career or family or money at the expense of pursuing Jesus is death. If I put career over Jesus, I am on the path to death. If I put money over Jesus, I am on the path to death. If I put family over Jesus, I am on the path to death. Following Jesus, on the other hand, being fixated on who Jesus is, that's not just better. That's life. That's the only way to life. He's the only door. There's no other door. The only other way in is not a legitimate one. You have to sneak in. You've got to climb in somehow. And so, you know, he's talking about a sheep pen, right, where it's fenced off all the way around, and there's one gate. There's only one gate because you don't want the sheep going off some other way. There's only one way in and out. And he's saying, that's the only legitimate way, and I am that door. There's no other legitimate way. There's no other way that leads to life. But he says, if you go through that door, if you come through me, you'll have abundant life. You'll have a full life. You will have eternal life. He is obviously referring to. But I think what we do with eternal life is we talk about heaven and and hell You know, it's kind of like that salvific eternity. There is something that I'll know one day. You know, one day I'm going to die, right? My body's going to die, but my soul will either go to heaven or go to hell. And we think that's what eternal life refers to. No. Not alone. I mean, of course, it does refer to that, but not alone. Where you will be for all of eternity will profoundly affect what you do right now, today. If you will be with God for eternity... So you can't think, I'm going to be worshiping God for eternity, for all of time. But I don't want to do that today. Right? Like I'm going to spend all my time glorifying God. I'm going to see him in his beauty and his majesty. But you know, if, if that's your end, if that's your goal, if that's where you want to be forever, uh, it's certainly going to change what you think about today. It's certainly going to change what you think your purpose is today. And to know that, to, to know I am, I am going to be with him forever. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those sheep. I do know his voice. That will change everything about what you think about today. You will know abundant life. Now he goes on, the, first he, he says, "I'm the door, right? I'm the only way." And then he goes on and he says, "I'm the good shepherd." just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way to life. Jesus is the only one who can guarantee our safety. He's the only one, right? Other uh, passages in the Old Testament, you know, that talk about this imagery of, of sheep and shepherd, it also talks about the ultimate shepherd. So while these shepherds of Israel are failing, this is from Ezekiel thirty four eleven, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness." He's saying, yeah, all my sheep, they've been scattered out there and they're just wandering in the darkness. And I myself, God says in the Old Testament, right? He says, I myself will go find them. This is Isaiah forty eleven. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. He says, I love my sheep. Right, he says, the hired hand doesn't care. He's a mercenary, right? He's just... Paid money to do a job. Says, Not me though. I know all the names of my sheep. I'll call them by name. And I will, I, I care deeply for them. And then, because he says, the, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Right? What would a good shepherd do for a sheep? A shepherd would defend his flock, right? A sh- when a, a bear is coming or a wolf is coming, a shepherd will step out there and he'll like fight, right? A shepherd will, would put his life on the line to fight for his sheep. But Jesus does one better. He says, I will die. Not I will step out in front of my sheep with the possibility of dying. That's not what he says. He says, I will die. He not I might die. He says, I will die. I will die for my sheep. I will lay down my own life of my own accord and die. And that's what Jesus does. He does more than risk his life. He gives up his life. Certainly. It, it's not that it might happen. It, it does happen. In this, when he's speaking these words, it will happen. And in our context, it has happened. Now, again, we're like sheep, right? <laughs> Sheep are a little dumb, I got to admit, right? Because like that sheep jumped off the cliff. You'd think, you know, one of the other 1,500 would be like, guys, let's not do this, right? Like, I don't think that's safe. But no, they all just followed. Um, sheep are also pretty defenseless. This is an interesting. It's so interesting that, Je- that uh, well, Jesus in this passage, but God uses sheep, you know, to describe his people, because there are, so for animals, there are three common ways that animals react to danger. Similar to humans, right? But there's a, there's a you know, for humans, it's fight or flight, right? Animals have a third way, which is um, posture. So there's fight or there's flight or there's posture, right? So, you know, let's think about those things and apply them to a sheep, right? How does a she- sheep, you know, what can a sheep do to fight? So if, like, a wolf comes, how is a sheep going to defend itself? Well, it's not, right? Sheep can't do anything. They're not fighters. They got no, they got no, nothing, right? Sheep don't, they got wool, right? They don't have any, they don't have horns or claws or, like, teeth. They they got nothing. A, A predator comes, if a predator comes to sheep, then the sheep are dead, right? That's why, you know, like, like, wolves and sheep, like, that's a, you know, it's not a fight, it's a it's an image of a predator and prey. Right? Think about flight. Well, certainly sheep can run, right? Well, actually, sheep are not fast, nor are they agile. They're, especially when their wool is long, or if they get wet. So they can't do they can't even run. So sheep can't fight. And they can't run. In fact, what they do is um Well, they they don't do anything. What they do is they they actually, when a a predator comes, they flock together to make it easier for the predator to pick them off. The only thing that they can do is hope that the predator goes after one of the other sheep instead of them. What about posture, right? Certainly a sheep can do, you know, like they say when you see bears, if you're ever camping or anything like that, you see a bear in the woods, what you should do is you're supposed to try to look big. Because a bear will get scared if you, if you appear to be bigger than the bear. So you're supposed to, like, you know, like, like put stuff on top of you and, like, put, your, put a jacket on or whatever. Or, like, stand on top of each other. And the bear will get scared because he can't really, the bear can't figure out, you know, what it's looking at exactly. And so that's, you know, so animals, they have a certain, like, like attack posture. Right? Like a lion roars, even, even when it's not attacking. A dog barks. Right, even a or a, a rattlesnake like shakes its rattle and that scares off predators. Um, even cats, right? Cats seem very domesticated to us, but even cats will like arch their backs and like hiss. they'll you know, they'll, they'll do that thing, right? But sheep, do you know what sheep do? Nope. Uh, <laughs> that's it. They got nothing. They don't even have a roar. They don't even have a scary noise that they can do to make a predator go away. They can't stand up on their hind legs. They're just down. They're slow. They're not agile. They group together and they make it easier. They're like the best food. They're the best prey. They can do nothing to defend themselves. This is, this is what God said. This is you. Right? Jesus says, oh. My dumb defenseless little sheep, this is who you are. And he doesn't, I don't think, you know, and Jesus isn't saying it in like a, you know, some, like an insulting way. He's pointing to our reality. saying When it comes to the, the spiritual reality that we face, we are defenseless. We can't save ourselves. When it comes to our sin, what are we to do to defend ourselves? We have nothing. Here's what Satan does. Here's what Satan does to tempt us to sin. He says simply this. God doesn't love you enough. And that's why he withholds from you. And so you got to go do it on your own. God doesn't love you enough. And that's why he withholds this from you. That's why he withholds this job from you. That's why he withholds this title from you or this person from you or this feeling from you. That's why he withholds this, this path. That's why he withholds this child. That's why he withhold, That's why he withholds from you because he doesn't love you enough. And so you got to go do it on your own. Go outside of God's design. Go outside of what God says. That's how he convinces us to sin. And then after we've sinned, he says, now God really doesn't love you because you turned away from him. You betrayed him. You went outside of what he said. He won't forgive you. Now here's how Jesus dying for us, defends us from that. To keep us from sin, to keep us from sinning, the death of Jesus tells us God always has and always does, always, always does love us more than we realize. He always loves you more than you think he does. And how do we know that? Because Jesus died for us. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, God always loves you more than you think. And even if you think God loves me so much more than everyone I've ever known combined, He still loves you more than that. That's what keeps us from sin. God convinces us, God's not withholding from me because he doesn't love me enough. He's withholding from me because he loves me a lot. Because there's a reason. The things he gives me, he gives me because he loves me. The things he withholds from me, he withholds from me because he loves me. He sent his son. He didn't withhold his own son. He sent his own son to the cross to die. He didn't withhold that. Why would he withhold anything else? And yet we still sin. After we've sinned. Even after we've sinned. Jesus dying reminds us that God will always forgive us because Jesus has died for us. Even after he reminded us how much he loved us, how much he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And we still fall. He says, But my love for you will not end. That's why Jesus died. So that my love for you wouldn't be dependent on what you do, but it's dependent on what Christ has done. So we have eternal security. Right? Nothing nothing can happen. Right? He says later in the passage, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Right? Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. No one can take us from him. That's what the death of Christ, for our sake, purchases for us. See, last you know, week we talked about the light, right? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the only one that reveals truth and error. I'm the only one that reveals right and wrong, right? Righteousness and sin. And here he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. This is an invitation. He says, come, you like be my sheep. Come come through this doorway. Come follow me. Hear my voice. Do you hear my voice? Do you recognize my voice? My sheep do not recognize the voice of a stranger. Not that they don't recognize, like they don't listen to it. They don't follow it. They follow me. Jesus is the only good shepherd who leads us to security and Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. And is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? Here's the final thing. The good shepherd leads us to a greater purpose. The good shepherd leads us to a greater Purpose. And Jesus talks about his authority and he says he's the one laying down his own life that he can take it up again. But he, he, and he brings up this he, he says here, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. You know what, is, what does that mean? Well, Jesus is talking to Jews. Now, and for Jews, their religion is very, it's very nationalistic. Right? It's very closely tied to their ethnic identity. They are Jewish. They are God's people, chosen people. Right? And Jesus is saying, but my what I'm doing, my mission, it's not that. It's not ethnic. It's not national. Right? I'm going to create a different flock. There will be one flock, one shepherd. There's going to be, I'm going to be the shepherd of a greater flock than this. He's pointing them to his mission. And in fact, even him saying this causes division amongst the people who are before him. Some people are like, should we, you know, is he right? Is he talking about the right thing? And other people are saying, he's crazy. He has a demon. This is the nature of Jesus' mission and any who would follow him. That this message, this gospel is divisive. And that it extends beyond just something nationalistic or or particularly cultural. It extends beyond something that is just even um, religious, really. Jesus is greater than that. Now we said, so sheep sheep are dumb, or maybe we could just say dangerous, right? A danger to themselves. And sheep are defenseless. And Uh, The the last thing about sheep, I think that pertains to us, is that sheep are mostly directionless. They are prone to wander. They don't really have any... Sheep don't have, like, an agenda, right? Like, they don't don't migrate anywhere. They don't hibernate. They just kind of, like, wander around. So without a shepherd, sheep don't know what to do. They get scared by water, and they, like, run away. They, can't, they, they don't know what, they don't know where they're going. They need a shepherd to lead them. Jesus is our good shepherd, right He is, he is the door that leads to that abundant life. He is our shepherd who defends us, who, who, who gives us that security, but he is also the shepherd who leads us, who tells us what our purpose is. Hey, let me let me. I'll say these two applications in closing. Here's the first thing. Put your trust in Christ as the only true door to life. Put your trust in Christ as the only true door to life. His is the only message that can speak life into people, into us, into anyone Jesus is the way to life, and there is no other. Only his life is great enough to impute righteousness to us. Only his death is costly enough to purchase forgiveness for us. Only his resurrection is powerful enough to ensure hope in us. He is the door to life. That's my first application. Here's a second one, and I'm going to talk about this a little more. Follow Christ... As your only true shepherd. Follow Christ as your only true shepherd, and I want to just here is what I want to say. Because sometimes we have this feeling, like we get bored with Christianity. Is this is this true? Do you ever feel like, you know, ah, uh, like why we do? You know, we so there are certain phrases we use like all the time, right? Like I'm going through the motions. I'm just going through the thing. Like I don't have. I don't. Something's missing. Like it's not there anymore. There might have been a time where it was like something was happening where I felt like this was really life-altering and transformative. But, you know, we, we find these places, these spaces in our lives where it becomes, it can become very, like it feels like it's not that anymore. Like something is lacking. Conviction is lacking. There's no challenge. Right? Some, and, uh, and sometimes we struggle with like disciplines. It's like, oh, reading the word and praying and, like, worship and and listening to preaching or going to church or participating in, in, you know, life groups or small groups or whatever, Bible studies. These things feel kind of, you know, it can feel monotonous. But I started playing sports kind of later in life. You know, I shared earlier, my brother, he played sports all the time. Since, like, he was really young. I think around when I was growing up, my dad was, like, really busy with work. So I kind of didn't, I didn't participate in a lot. And I was, like, really shy when I was a kid. So I didn't really do any of those things. The end of high school, I, I played sports a little bit. And, um, and then I really got into, like, oh, it's, like I wanted to be, to be a lot better. Like, I played volleyball in high school. And, um, you know, went, like, I'd never been, i had never done anything like that before, like, organized sports ever before that. I never did, like, any little league or anything So this was like the first time. And so, you know, you do a lot of things. You go to practice, and you do these drills and stuff. I remember later, and later in life, I like I wanted to be a lot better at basketball. So I would like, when I was in college, I would go, in the morning, I would just go to the gym, and I would just shoot around. Just by myself. Or I would go with one of my roommates. We'd just go, and I'd just shoot like hundreds of of jumpers. That's how I developed my jumper. I just would go, and I'd just shoot over and over and over again. Now, the thing is, right, and I loved it at the beginning. Even, like, volleyball practice, I loved it, you know, because I had never done this before. And I was part of a team, and I like, I would, I would practice all this stuff. You know, I'd get hidden lines. I just, like, hid. I loved it. But after a while, it got boring. I didn't care about practice. Do you know what I cared about? I cared about game day, right? I wanted to play in the game. And I and I played, you know, and when I, every time I played in a game, it got me pumped up for practice. It made me think, yeah, I'm gonna I go am gonna work on this. I'm gonna get better at this, you know. I'm gonna be better at setting. Like I want to be in the right position. I would like study notes. I'd be like, oh yeah, where am I supposed to be in this? Like in this scenario, in this situation. You know, ball's over here. Okay, then I have to come back. I'm I have the back here, or I'm covering my hitter here, or I gotta go. I'm digging right here. It's like oh, I gotta come up and block. Like I would I would study those things. I got really into when I played basketball more, I got really into like watching sports more. I watched NBA. When I played Turkey Bowl for church, I started watching football. I never watched football before that. I didn't understand what's happening. If you don't want, if you don't you know, if you don't like know football, then you probably watch and you're like, I don't I don't know what's going on. Right, but there's so much happening. It's very intricate. Like this guy's blocking in a certain way. He's creating this hole. It's like it's like a you know f- a foot wide hole, but it's like big enough for the running back to get through. And then he's doing. And guys are blocking downfield. And like if you don't play, then you don't understand any of that, right? Sundays are like team practices. Bible studies are like studying the playbook or film sessions. Personal disciplines are like going to the gym to work out or lift weights or run. But if you never play in the game, if you never step on the field, if you never go to the course, if you never compete in a meet or a marathon, when the time comes when your number is called, if you refuse to accept the challenge, then all of this will become very meaningless No one can just practice forever. I think it's very Asian of us though, right? Because we want to be uber prepared when we do something. Like if you deliver the gospel to someone, you want to know every single potential question they might ask and you want to have every answer. If you're going to do something at work that is a risk to you, like presenting your faith, then you want to make sure you're covered, you're not going to get fired, you've got legal recourse prepared, you know, in case anything happens. Like you want to know that you are absolutely covered on every base before you step out and put yourself out and say, there's some risk here. I could get rejected. People could think I'm weird. I could lose my status. I could lose my job. But if you believe what Jesus says, if you believe that he is the only way to life, if you believe that he is the only one who can guarantee your security, your job can't guarantee your security, your parents can't do that, your family can't do that, your friends can't do that. No one can guarantee that for you. Anything could happen at any time. If you think you have any control over your life here today, then you're deluded. You're fooling yourself. Only God can say, I guarantee your security because even if you die today, I still got you. You're in my hand. Even if it's all over, if you find out tomorrow you have cancer, it doesn't matter. God has you. If you believe that, then you have to get in the game. Or this will, This is all nothing. You can, you can shoot jumpers all the live long day by yourself in a gym. It doesn't matter how good you get. You can hit 100 in a row, and you'll get bored. In fact, I only use this sports analogy because probably a lot of us have played sports. But a, a more apt analogy is War. Sundays are like drills. Bible studies are like, like like you know military history. Retreats are like boot camps. The point is to be equipped for battle. But a soldier who never goes to war, a soldier who prepares for wartime, but never steps foot on the battlefield. And I'm talking about like you prepare like it's wartime. If you prepare like it's wartime, but you never go to battle. You go crazy. The difference is the war that we are part of is meant to be deceptive. Satan doesn't want you to think there is a war. He wants you to think nothing is very urgent. Nothing's happening out there. Just Live your life and don't worry about all this other stuff. Contrastingly, if you if you seek to listen to Jesus' voice because you want to obey it, because you want to obey him, because you think, you know what, he is the only, he's the only real shepherd. He's the only one who can truly lead me. He won't tell you to simply keep doing what you're doing. He won't say, Don't change anything about your life. He won't say, be safe, don't take risks. Rather, you will learn to discern his voice as he says, If you follow me, I'll keep you safe no matter the risk. If you follow me, I will lead you into danger, yet you will be 100% secure. You will feel less in control, but you will be more at home. And no matter where you find yourself, there will be no doubt as to the reason that you're there. For that is where the good shepherd has led you. And he will never lead us astray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for how much you love us, God. Jesus, thank you for providing us Invitation to you, the only way to life. Thank you for reminding us today, Jesus, that there is no other but you. All others are thieves and robbers, God. All others desire to, to kill and destroy. But you, Jesus, you want to lead us to life and life abundant. us to follow you. This is this is no easy thing, God. It is no simple choice. It's hard. There are challenges. There are risks. There are fears. There are doubts. But we simply ask that when those creep up in our hearts, God, you would point us back to the cross. You remind us that there is nothing that you withhold from us because you do not love us enough, God. You love us too much, more than we could ever know. There is no sin too great that you do not forgive, God. There's no mis- there are no mistakes that we've made that are not redeemable in you fact it all rolls into one story that is for your glory help us God to discover that and to share that and to be a people that does not live on practice God but that desires to fight in the battles for you we thank you for your love and in the opportunity, God, we pray for courage and strength and grace. In Jesus' name we pray.